0: Thank you for tuning in to the Fires of Revival podcast. It is my prayer that you are helped by the weekly ministry conversations and expositional teachings through the Bible passages. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast, and now for the episode. John chapter 9, thank you for the song, and I believe the truth of that song. We can live in our circumstances, and we tend to blame God. Kind of goes along with the beginning of John chapter 9. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus says, it's neither of those. That the works of God may be manifest in his life, and whatever you're going through, may the works of God be manifest in your life, because God is good. Uh, and so John chapter 9, we're continuing our story. And remember, all of these 41 verses are all the same story. We have the beginning, the introduction, what happened last week, where the blind man is made whole, that Jesus spits on the ground and uses the spittle to mix with the dirt, uh, to make mud, to anoint or wash this man's eyes, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he does, and he comes seen. Uh, and they ask him, how did that happen? This man called Jesus... Wash my eyes. He, he, he rubbed this in my eyes. He told me to go wash, and now I see. I don't know, I was blind, but I can see now. And we pick up the story from there, and really the rest of the chapter is the reaction to the miracle. And I've entitled the message this morning Three Blind Mice. We know the nursery rhyme Three Blind Mice. Three Blind Mice. See how they run. Let's see how they run. They all ran after a farmer's wife who cut off their tail with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a thing in your life as three blind mice? Where did this slasher tail come from? I mean, seriously, and why do we tell it to children? Many nursery rhymes start off as social commentary or as political cartoons in verse. In this case, the farmer's wife is Queen Mary I of England. And the little rats that she looked at were Protestant believers by the name of Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer. In the book I mentioned Wednesday night, actually last Sunday night on Outsiders, you can read all about Latimer and Ridley, who stood up to the queen because of their beliefs and their faith. And she had them imprisoned, and they continued to preach. In fact, they were separated for a period of time because they couldn't be seen together because all they would do is talk about the things of God. And finally, they put them together, and Cranmer, he's the one who gave the divorce to uh, her father, Henry VIII, and so she imprisoned him too. And instead of cutting off their tails, she hanged all three of them. So I guess the nursery rhyme is a little less morbid uh, than the actual events that took place. But these men, persecuted for their faith, thrown out as outcasts of society and imprisoned, not much unlike the blind man in our story, who when you look at him, the natural reaction to, you received your sight, congratulations, this is awesome, this is great. You were born blind, and now you can see. Praise God! That should have been the reaction. But it was not. In fact, if you were to look down at verses 10 and 11, they said, How were thine eyes open?" He answered, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. There should be rejoicing." there should be congratulations, there should be a feast, there should be, let's find Jesus and let's worship and adore Him. They said, where is He? He said, I know not. So what do they do instead? They begin to question. They begin to look at Him and His neighbors and others, and they say, is this even He? Is this Him? And they begin to doubt that the miracle took place. They begin to doubt that this is a true saying, and so where do they go? Well, let's go to the Pharisees. Let's find him. Would you question this man? Would you throw this man out of church? Would you excommunicate him? Would would you do all of these things to him? He received his sight. Shouldn't you be pleased that a, a miracle was done, a work of God was done? And instead, we get this story. Take him to the Pharisees. Make sure he's made whole. Let's examine him, let's question him on why this is done. Now, you'll see their angst and you'll see their interrogation in this story. Uh, And truly, believing is seeing. The old axiom is, well, seeing is believing, but this man's born blind. How can he see to believe? Because of his belief, he can now see. And I want you to see the interrogation of these Pharisees and the motive behind what they're doing, the reason of the attack. And let's start in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Here we go again. Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. How dare He heal anyone on the Sabbath day. How dare you, Jesus, break our laws? How dare you go against us? The religious leaders thought that he broke the law and said and accused that he broke the law in three ways. Number one, he healed a man on the Sabbath day, and because it was not an emergency, he could have waited until the next day or another time to heal him. Couldn't you have done this on a Monday, Jesus? Why did it have to be on our Sabbath day? You see, it's no longer glorious that this man is healed, that his sight is is restored or given to him. It's no longer that Jesus does this work to prove that he's God. Jesus, you disobeyed us, is what they're saying. You could have done this another time. How dare you go against us? How dare they go against the Son of God? And yet, it was the Sabbath day. It's not an emergency. It's not like he was dying. He could have gone without his sight for one more day. You could have healed him another time. Secondly, the work was done by making clay from the ground. That was work. You can't work on the Sabbath day. You can't play in the mud. You can't make clay. You can't do these things. They said you could spit, but you couldn't spit on the ground. That was a law. How ridiculous is this? Exactly. They had taken what God had stated, and God hadn't stated that at all, and they had made their own rituals, their own traditions, their own ways of what was right and what was wrong, and they held it as God's law, God's gospel. The third law that he broke was that a person could not anoint eyes on the Sabbath day. These were all perversions and all additions to the law of God that these legalistic faith Pharisees made up to make people subservient to them. Obey us, follow us, we will control you. The Pharisees were all about control. Not only did they control who could go to the temple and who could not go to the temple, but that was the place of social life. That was the place where families met together. To be cast out of the synagogue, to be cast from the temple, to be cast from these places was to take a person and say, you can't talk to him anymore because he's not obeying us. You can't fellowship with him because they're not exactly doing what we want. By this time, years of legalistic accretion had encrusted the original Sabbath laws like barnacles. So, let's doubt what was said. Let's see if we can poke holes, all in an attempt to get to Jesus. Look down at verses uh, fourteen, 15. Let's, let's move on in the passage. Then again, the Pharisees also asked how he had received his sight, he said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. There, there's the, the first questioning. It's really the second time that he's been questioned. because He's already been asked the question. He's just repeating the answer. I love this guy, by the way. By uh, the time when we get to the end, you'll see why. Uh, but he, he gives them the answer. They said unto the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? There was a division among them they say unto the blind man again what sayest thou of him what hath he opened uh, uh, that he hath opened thine eyes the man responds he says he is a prophet we see a progression in this man's faith we see him throughout this story and we see him receive his sight remember him receiving his sight gives him his physical eyes but he's still spiritually blind up to this point. He doesn't know Christ as Savior. He starts off with who heals you? Well, it's this man called Jesus. It's a good place to start, but he hasn't come to faith yet. This man called Jesus, he anointed my eyes. He told me to go wash, and I washed, and I see. Well, how did you get your eyesight? He answers again, uh, well, this man who, who washed my eyes, Jesus, and uh, he sent me to the pool, and I wash, and I, I now see. His story is consistent. Well, well, what do you say of him? A sinner can't do that. Well, I think he's a prophet, a progression, a step in faith that this person must be of God. Well, the Pharisees are not going to be satisfied with any answer that doesn't condemn Jesus. That's their goal. That's their aim. Condemn him, stone him, kill him, get him off the scene because he's a danger to our way of life. Remember, these Pharisees are, I mean, they are wealthy beyond wealthy. They control millions of dollars, whatever their currency is, going in and out of that temple. They live an opulent life in mansions uh, and they are rich and their garments are rich and everything about them. Now they'll give mites and they'll give little pieces to the poor because that's an act of God that, that they would give some of their opulent wealth to them and, uh, and they'll do that and and give shillings or little pieces, do it publicly and openly for all to see and yet they are spiritually blind because they're trying to kill the one who came to save them. Because he's a threat to their wealth. He's a threat to their power. He's a threat to their laws and to their control of the people. And so they begin to not be satisfied with that. Let's find, let's find his parents. This can't be the guy. Jesus must did a switcheroo. This is just another blind beggar they found on the street, and they found this guy. who looks like him, and so this it can't be the guy. Let's find his parents. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind, received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth now he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, He should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents. He is of age. Ask him. So they admit. Yes. This is our son. Yes. He was born blind. But we plead the fifth on who healed him. We don't know who that was. We don't know anything about him. Because the fact that they knew the Pharisees had the influence to have them excommunicated from the synagogue and really from society. It was to an observant Jew, it was abhorrent. And they said, we can't risk that. Therefore, they threw the ball back into the son's court. He's old enough. Ask him. Let him say the words because we're not saying them. They are so scared because of the control and the response of these religious leaders. They're going to throw us out. They're going to blackball us. This is cancel culture at its finest. Okay. You think cancel culture is new? <laughs> nope. It's just a 21st century version of it. They're going to cancel these people real quick. Just say Jesus is Christ. Just admit he's the son of God. You do, you're out you will not be seen or heard of again. You want to know what it's going to be like to be excommunicated? Just, just say the word. And so their intimidation lay in the fact and fear of the Jews. And what a, what a, what a sad commentary. On the day they should have been rejoicing over their son's healing. They were interrogated they were intimidated by the hostile, uncaring, professional leaders of their religion. The fear, the control the Pharisees had over the people made them hirelings, which you're going to hear a lot about in John chapter 10 in two weeks. John chapter 10 has the background of this story to where we get two, two pieces of information in John 10. The first one is Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the caring shepherd. Anybody else comes in another way, uh, he's a thief and a robber. Second half of John 10 is Jesus going after these Pharisees once again. We'll see that a lot in the coming weeks. Uh, Remember, this is all building to an overboiling point that they're going to crucify Jesus. Less than six months from now, they will accomplish what they've been trying to do for about a year. And they think they will have won, just to find out Jesus won't stay dead. And Jesus conquers what they tried to do to him. I imagine the devil's licking his chops and that he's looking at it going, this is how we're going to get it done. This is what's going to take place. And now we're going to, and they crucify him. Oh, yeah, oh, no, Uh, up from the grave he arose, okay? Uh, And and we get to Easter, okay? I'd love for this to end on Easter. I don't know if it's going to or not, Uh, but that would be so much fun. The blind man, his response, I love. Oh, look at his response. Verse 24, then called they again the man that was born blind. They said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. His response, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. What a testimony. Praise God. Now, when they say, you know, well, give God the praise, that's their swearing in. They're now going to officially swear him in to testify in court. Okay? That's like saying, uh, so help me, God, okay? uh, whichever way you're supposed to do that, uh, with your hand on the Bible and everything else. That's their give God the praise. Tell the truth. Okay? We're going to swear you in. This is your official testimony. Call him a sinner. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath day. And broke our laws, and he says, "I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know the man. First time I met him was yesterday or today. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but here's what I do know: I was blind, and now I can see. What does that tell you, guys? He starts to become a bold witness for Christ. He, he begins." to tell his story. The Pharisees tell him to admit that Jesus is a sinner. If you do, no more harm's going to happen. We're going to forget this. Just admit to it. And if you'll admit to it, then we'll be fine. We'll move on uh, and, and everything's going to be okay. Many are afraid to say anything about the Lord for fear of getting into maybe a theological argument that's over their head. Or to get lamb blasted by somebody who is against God. And so they begin to just be quiet. Not this man. I love this man. I I, I was studying this out and and someone said, read Psalm 27 in light of this blind man's story. He said, it'll make Psalm 27 come to life. Don't do it now. I see some of you turning. Okay. Okay. This is your homework assignment for this afternoon. Read Psalm 27 through the eyes of this blind man. And watch that psalm just come to life. I I did and went, wow. I know he wasn't talking about him, but the correlation between those two, it's outrageous. It is amazing, okay? Homework this afternoon. Do it. I'll ask you tonight. Okay, so Psalm 27 is a wonderful take, uh, wonderful when you look at it through this man's eyes. Witness what God has done in your life. Like this man witnessed what God did in his life. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. So use your testimony. And by the way, their arguments are beginning to run out. They can't answer to what's been done. People can argue theology and interpretations but are speechless when confronted with the reality of a changed life. And this man has been changed. His physical eyesight restored. So the man begins to stand up for himself. Verse 26, let's go on to our next argument. Let's look at what they're going to say next. Then said they to him, What did he to thee? This is really, what, the fourth time that they've asked him the same question? What happened to you? Did you not hear the last three times what happened to me? Here we go again. They said, Uh, Where am I? Okay, verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to thee? How opened he thy eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Oh, I love this guy. Oh, man. He said, I already told you. Do you want me to repeat? Can we go to the playback, get the instant replay? I'm going to say the same thing I've already said three times. I don't know how he did it. All I know is I was blind, now I see. You want to hear it again? I was blind, now I see. Hey, how about in a different dialect? I was blind, but now I see. Okay, how do you want me to say it? Do you want to be his disciple too? Oh, they look at this guy and go, oh, we're already disciples. Look at their response. Then they reviled him. What are we doing? We've run out of arguments. Once we've run out of arguments, now we start name-calling. Now, now we start to insult. We, we no longer have facts, or we no longer have a valid argument, so let's start calling you names. They reviled him, said, thou art his disciple. That's their insult. Well, if that's the biggest insult you get is you belong to Jesus, well, amen. Okay? He says, You're his disciple, but no, 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 no. We are Moses' disciple. I wonder, I'm just thinking, if Moses could look down on these Pharisees and they just keep bringing up his name, that he's going, hey guys, stop bringing up my name. We're not on the same team. You think you're following me and the one I wrote about is standing in front of you and you are rejecting him. We're not on the same team, guys. They say, We believe Moses, we follow him, we follow the law. No, they perverted the law, they controlled the law, they controlled society so that they might become rich and wealthy, powerful, lords over God's heritage. Kind of like the Nicolaitans that we talked about in Sunday school. All of these things that they're trying to build up for themselves. And this man looks at him and goes, You know, I met Jesus, and he changed me. You should meet him, too. You'd really like him. He'd change your life. He would make you new. He would give you a home in heaven. He would do all of these things. You know, he made me see. What kind of guy would do that if he's a sinner and evil? You know what? You should be his disciple, too. Oh, man, they don't like that. Look at verse 29. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Now, they're just not being honest at this point because they know he's from Galilee. They know he's from Nazareth. They know who his parents are. They know who his brethren are. They know who he is. They're not being intellectually honest. They are willingly ignorant of Jesus. They just don't want to know who he is. But we know who Moses is. Oh, yeah. We're smart. We've read the Bible. We know you've read the Bible. Okay, You stop after saying you've read the Bible. Okay? Why don't you start living the Bible, and it would be a lot better. Okay? Uh, you said you've read the Bible. You said you've read the Bible. You said you know who Moses is. You know what the law is. We know you've memorized it. We know, you know you're, you're all of your stuff, that, that you're high and mighty. We know who you are. You don't have to keep saying your pedigree. But Jesus, oh, we don't know him. Yes, you do. You're just not willing to believe. You, you know, you're just not willing to admit it. You'd rather live in your sin. You'd rather live in your way. You'd rather keep your things than to believe in Jesus. They're not willing to see the evidence. They cannot and will not receive the truth. So they're unable to refute the evidence. They begin to revile his man as bring Moses into the picture like they've done in John 5. Warren Weersby says this, the Pharisees were cautious men who would consider themselves conservatives when really they were preservatives. A true conservative takes the best of the past and uses it, but he is also aware of the new things that God is doing. The new grows out of the old. A preservative simply embalms the past and preserves it. He is against change and resists the new things that God is doing. Had the Pharisees really understood Moses, they would have known who Jesus was and what he was doing. But they willingly rejected it. Why? To preserve themselves. So what does it really come back to? Godliness? Sanctification? No. Preservation of self. That's all these Pharisees want. Keep my power. Keep my money. Keep my way. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. And Jesus comes in and blows it up. He says, it wasn't your way in the beginning. And it's not your way now. We'll see in John chapter 14 and verse 6 where he tells Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's my way, my truth, my life. These men wouldn't believe it. So look at this man again. Oh, I love him. He begins to get real bold and real sarcastic. Look at verse 30. The man answered and said unto them, Why ye herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is. And yet he hath opened mine eyes. Well, this is just a marvel, isn't it? Well, just look at that. And he can say that now. He can look. It's a marvel. You know so many things and are so educated. It's a marvel that you've memorized the Old Testament and seen all of these ways and know all of these things, and yet Jesus is standing in front of him, and you don't know who he is. Wow. Wow. Ain't that special? He says, here's what I know. This man that you refuse, he opened my eyes. Oh, that's a marvelous thing. I marvel that you are marveling at his, mar- I marvel that he has done this thing to me. Now we know, and here's the man, uh, uh, by the way, a, a man who doesn't know God yet, doesn't know salvation yet. Here's what he knows. He's teaching them. He's taking them to school, okay? He says, now we know that God heareth not sinners. Who's he talking about? He's talking about them. He's calling them sinners. We know God doesn't hear sinners. But if, he, if any be a worshiper of God, and doth doeth his will, him he heareth since the world began. Was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, He could do nothing. I love his sermonette here. I love his preaching because he says, if this man's a sinner, how is he doing the works of God? It has never been heard before that a man that was born blind gets new eyes. This is a creative act of God. He gave me new eyes. He created them and gave them to me. If this is not God, how does he do it? So they answer him theologically, right? They go to their Old Testament and say, well, here's from the Bible how this is going to happen. Well, well, let's look. Verse 34, they answered and said unto him, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Can they refute what he has said? (laughs) No, because this guy's speaking fire right now. He's speaking truth like nothing else. And they look at him and go, You fornicator. That's what they're saying. You were born in sins. The same accusation they made of Jesus that they were born in sins, that this man, they insult him. You were born of an adulterous relationship and in fornication. Do they have any proof of that, by the way? No, not a word of it do they have proof of, but this is their. Your mom. That's what they say. They have no rational argument whatsoever, so they resort to calling him names and violently throwing him out of church. You think this man started his day begging on the side of the street, had his eyes open, this man called Jesus, this prophet, this man who came and healed him, that at the end of the day he thought, I'm going to get thrown out of church today. Wow. What do they resort to? Violence. They resort to, we're not going to listen to you anymore. Nincompoop, come poop, whatever they're going to call. Them. Okay. We're going to call you names. We're going to say things that aren't true about you. We're going to do all of these things because we can't stand that you're actually being rational and saying truth and preaching the gospel. And we hate this Jesus so much, we're going to cast you out. Wow. These men of God. These religious leaders, they're, they're, they're doing the work of God, aren't they? I love it. One commentary said this. They had written off Jesus by claiming that they did not know where he was from, namely from Nazareth. The truth is they knew him, but they could not believe in him to keep their wealth and prestige. They would have to change, and they did not want to. As it is, the Pharisees are forced to listen to an uneducated man telling them that they amazing as it may seem, are incapable of assessing God's activity. So let's listen to a guy who didn't go to college to study the Bible, and let's listen to him tell you the truth about me. They take a low blow at him. The very thing that hurt him the most before his healing, who sinned this man or his parents? Well, obviously, It was his parents. He was born in sin. That's their argument. All the way back to the beginning of the chapter. Who did sin? Oh, it must have been their parents. That's why he's born blind. You were born in sins. You were born in fornication. You were born in adultery. This is the reason that you are born blind. Very legalistic, by the way. So the Pharisees controlled the whole religious and social structure. So to to throw him out was to excommunicate him from society. We're going to do the worst thing we can do to you. We're going to throw you out. I love verse 35. Then Jesus, he heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, Jesus went looking for this man. I heard you got cast out of church. Let me let you know who I am. He had found him. He said unto him, dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee." Hey, you're looking at him. Hey, tell me who it is. I'll believe. I'll believe on the Son of God. I will. I will. Who is it? You're talking to him. And I can imagine that this man does not hesitate; that he doesn't even hardly let Jesus finish his sentence. Look at his response. He said, "Lord, I believe," and he worshipped Him. Simple faith, simple things. We we make salvation so complicated. Run through these hoops. Go to these classes. Get this uh, done and get that done, and and salvation could be yours in six to eight weeks. I mean, the simplicity of the gospel is, do you believe the person that you see is the Son of God? Now, that's important. Not just to believe that Jesus is a miracle worker, not just to believe that He's a teacher uh, that is good, not just to know about Him or to know who He is. This is a belief from the heart that says, Jesus is Lord, He is Savior, He died for me, I accept His gift of salvation. Lord, I believe. We worshipped Him. Now, did you notice that Jesus accepts his worship? It doesn't say anywhere that Jesus rejects him. Why is he rece- accepting of his worship? Because he's God. He's able to. He can receive your worship because Jesus is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. Now, look at verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment am I coming to the world that they which see uh, not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Now, some people say, well, that contradicts Jesus. He's contradicting himself. Back to John chapter 3. Go there real quick uh, with me. John chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, It it tells us this. Uh, It says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But now Jesus is saying that he's come into the world, uh, that he's the judgment, that I'm coming to the world. So is he the judge or is he not the judge? Here's what he's saying. He's saying to those that believe and do not believe, there's going to be a separation based on what they believe about me. There will be a separation of the sheep and the goats. There will be a separation of those that believe. They will come to a conclusion, and when they come to a conclusion, it's either going to be for me or it's going to be against me. Those that are against me are condemned without God forever in the lake of fire. And those that believe me I will in no wise cast out. There's a separation. And there's a separation in this room this morning. There are those, the blind man who comes to Jesus Christ and says, Lord, I believe. He heard what Christ was saying. He knew what Christ, who Christ was. And he said, I'm gonna place my faith in you. And he did, and he's miraculously saved. And then there's the three blind men. Look at their response to Jesus in verse 39. Verse 40, I should say. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus saith unto him, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Here's their testimony of Jesus so far. Verse 16, This man is not from God. Verse 16, He does not keep the Sabbath. Verse 24, This man is a sinner. Verse 28, they claim not to be Jesus' disciples, but Moses'. Their testimony makes them blind. Their belief makes them blind. The same light that leads one person can blind another. The gospel brings about different reactions from different kinds of hearts. The blind sinner receives the truth and he sees. The self-righteous religious person rejects the truth and becomes even more blind spiritually it is a dangerous thing to reject the light of the gospel and that's what these men are doing they're rejecting it you may sit here this morning you may feel the convicting work of the holy spirit in your life you're going no, i need to be saved i know i need to come to know christ i know i need to put my faith in him but i just don't know about in front of a crowd or i just don't know about my life and what i want to, to do or give up and i just don't know about those things and you'll sit here and reject it and be lost and die and go to hell. Or you can sit here and hear the light and go, you know what? I'm blind. And I need that truth. I may not be physically blind this morning, but spiritually I'm without Christ and I need to come to know Him. Lord, I believe. And come to accept Christ as Savior. Today, Spurgeon said this, it's not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. The song says this, open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him and to say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. This blind man goes through a progression of faith, doesn't he? This man called Jesus, I don't know him, but Jesus, I can see because of him. Well, he's 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 a prophet. Uh, And he must be of God. And how can anything be done if he's not uh, from God? And and finally, Lord, I believe. May we be like the blind man to see the truth, to see what God has for us. The response of the blind man in verse 38 is twofold. And really all of Christian life comes down to these two things. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The first response is to believe on him and make sure that he's your savior. That's what this man does. He believes the Lord saves him. Step number one. The second step in the Christian life is to worship him. And Jesus is worthy of our worship. The act of of worship is just to ascribe worth to. Well, I, I thought that worship was the song service. We're going to have the worship service now, and they're going to get up, and we're going to sing, and and that's what worship is. No, that's not what worship is. Worship is the byproduct of belief, and so our singing comes out of our love for Him. Worship produces singing. Well, I thought service was worship. No, worship produces serving. Well, I thought giving was worship. Worship produces giving. Worship produces listening. It's a lifestyle of love for God that flows from the love that God has for us. We must all come to these two decisions. But are we blind to them? Don't be like the three blind mice. Now those three men who stood up for Christ, like the blind man here, I'll be named among them every day of the week. At least I want to be. Sometimes I fall short in my witness and my boldness for the Savior. But may it not be today. May it not be tomorrow. May it not be Tuesday and Wednesday. And my life needs to be a witness for him. Open our eyes. We want to see Jesus.